I just wrapped up a fantastic interview with a trio of experts from the world of alternative assets. The thing is, it was super long, but it was also super interesting, and I want to edit out massive chunks of knowledge in order to get it down to a theoretically podcasty length. So, rather than leave all this good stuff on the cutting room floor, I broke it into a couple of episodes. So for the first time in the history of this pod, we have a two-parter, and I'll make it twice as much fun to collect this. Welcome to Collect This, powered by CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. Here's your host, Alan Goldscher. All right, before we dive into this alternative assets roundtable with uh, my two buddies from Alton Insights, Dylan Dietrich and Bradley Kaleha, and my buddy from Vincent Alternative Assets, Slava Rubin, um, I'm going to read our ad copy this week. Now, normally, I have my guests do it, but these three guys, who all have excellent voices, chose to dump it in my lap. Dylan, why are you throwing it at me? None of our voices can top yours. Okay, fine. Here we go then. <clears throat> Check out this special deal for you awesome Collectus listeners. Head over to csgcards.com slash join select premium and use the promo code collect this and you can join CSG at the premium level for just $99. $50 off the regular price. What? Not only that, but you'll get a $150 same as cash credit. So the price of membership pays for itself. But wait, there's more. <laughs> you'll get access to exclusive benefits like discounts on select add-on services, 24-7 online submission tracking, and 10% off at the CCG store. Once again, csgcards.com slash join. Select premium. Use the code collect this. That's us. Get your grade on with CSG. Uh, gentlemen, we are all basketball guys, right? And and too rarely on this show do we talk about actual sports. We're going to start out actually before we get into the alternative asset weeds talking about sports. Dylan, of everybody on this round table here, you are the luckiest because you're a Celtics fan. Here we are on December 19th. The Celtics are one of the two or three best teams in the league, if not the best team in the league. Gloat, my friend. <laughs> it's been a pretty fun start to the season. Um Jason Tatum has gone up a level again as a team. They've still been playing really well despite missing Robert Williams up until this mm -hmm. past weekend, who is, you know, arguably our best kind of defensive player and, and the defensive glue. Um so yeah, a lot a lot to be excited about, particularly with the fact that we had a, a coaching change unexpectedly. Um but, um, you know, we've looked a, a little bit shaky at points in, in recent weeks, but no reason to believe this team can't get back to the finals. Um, but it's still, you know, you never know. Playoff basketball is a very different animal than, than the regular season. And this is not the time you want to be peaking. So I'm not going to get too, uh, too cocky just yet. Yeah, I, I, I feel like uh, Milwaukee and Boston are the cream of the East. Uh, I thought Atlanta, Slava, would, would be kind of creamy uh, myself. It's, although, you know, you've got a couple injuries. you got DeJounte Murray hurt. you got John Collins hurt. Um, so they're, they're working with a patchwork lineup. Uh, but Trey Young is doing Trey Young things, and A.J. Griffin is doing really cool rookie things. How are you feeling about the Hawks' chances, Slava Rubin? Yeah, I mean, I think you summarized it already. There's some new experiments. DeJounte Murray is kind of working, kind of not. Uh, I don't think the team's been together, like, one starting five lineup fully healthy yet. Uh, Bogdanovich just came back, and now we have mm -hmm. Hunter and others hurt. Hunter's been stepping up, I think, really well. Uh, it's not even Christmas yet, so I don't know if anybody even watched the basketball yet, so it's hard to know. <laughs> uh, 
if uh, the teams are really who they are going to be yet, uh, as Dylan already said. So, you know, 15 and 15 at the moment, uh, I prefer maybe uh, 20 and 10, um, feeling a little bit more like Cleveland. But, you know, it's hard to say. The real question will be, you know, do they keep Collins, the ever conversation of do they trade him or do they keep him? And really does the experiment of, uh, of Young and DeJounte, is it going to work out or not? So let's see once they have a healthy team, hopefully in a few weeks. Yeah, I think once they are healthy, they're they're already fun to watch. Anytime Trey Young is on the court, it's kind of must-watch TV. Uh, but once Murray's back healthy, once they mesh, I think they're going to be a really scary and fun, fun team um, come spring. Um, Bradley, you are, uh, uh, you've lived in Pittsburgh, you've lived in Buffalo. The Pittsburgh Pipers no longer exist. The Buffalo Braves are in Los Angeles being the Clippers. So you told me that you adopt a team each year. Who do you adopt this year? I do. I, it, there's always teams. So like in this area, everyone's either Cleveland or, or the Wizards, and it definitely leans more toward the Cavs now as of late mm-hmm. um, with, with how well they're playing. And they are a super exciting team to watch. Um, I, I normally will adopt the Timberwolves every year when the playoffs roll around. I don't know. They're <laughs> just a team that, that I get behind. They're a fun team to watch, um, you know, that they win a game and, and then they celebrate, you know, obviously, like it's the they won the title but i'm very (laughs) bullish on cleveland this year um especially i think that lineup it's young it's really coming together mitchell in there garland allen uh i think that if the east is just so top heavy with the bucks and the celtics but you know i I think the Cavs could could make another run it'd be great to see them win a title uh without lebron over there anymore so uh just looking forward to really the east in general uh, I think that's a super competitive uh, conference up at the top. I could chop it up about hoops all day, but I can also chop it up about alternative assets all day. And uh, there are very few people who are better equipped than this triumvirate I've got right here. I'm very lucky that they've all joined us. Bradley and or Dylan, um, who wants to give us a little 411 on what Alton Insights is and what you guys have been up to lately? Sure, um, I can take that. Um, so basically, Alton was started um, when we saw the securitization of collectible assets um, by fractional marketplaces, and it was kind of created initially to support investing in that space to provide kind of data, research, analytics um, to help investors wrap their arms around these markets and how they perform, and you know how to understand different assets and their attributes and, and what makes them appreciate in value or depreciate. Um, and really our focus is expanding to be that data kind of insights research analytics provider um, not just to the fractional space but really um, expanding more broadly into these collectible categories whether you're buying them in securitized form or you're just a collector who who really wants to better understand in a kind of more financial context kind of the, the composition of these assets and, and their their attributes from a performance perspective. So really supporting kind of collectors, investors across across the kind of um, across the board of collectible categories. Yeah, it's a fantastic tool. Um, and, you know, even though fractional ownership has been uh, part of the pseudo mainstream for the last maybe like 12, 18 months, uh, there's still a lot for all of us to learn. And having a place like Alton Insights to go visit is a, a it's a great tool. Highly, highly recommended. Slava, you are coming from uh, Indiegogo, right? That's what people know you for uh, best. But over the last couple of years, uh, your company, Vincent Alternative Assets, has been, again, a, a wonderful tool to learn about the space. Um, tell us where you started, where you're at and where you're going. 
Sure. So um, building Indiegogo, people would always ask me, you know, is is XYZ a good investment? I've been investing in different alternatives, whether it's crypto, pre-IPO companies, venture, uh, real estate, private credit, art, et cetera, for a long time. And we felt like there had to be a way to just turn this into a scalable product. So we built with Vincent.com. We now have professional management of customizable portfolios where uh, with one entry you know, investment, you can get exposure across all these assets without having to go across all these different sites and having to make all your own decisions. So we professionally manage these accounts and help you get exposure across all these assets, everything from uh, pre-IPO investments, crypto, real estate, private credit, art, and collectibles. Uh, what's really cool about this conversation in particular is that we at CCG, not just CSG, CCG, we have a whole bunch of different verticals, stamps and coins and video games, et cetera, et cetera. So the alt asset world, right? We are all part of this world. Um, and it's really cool. There's a lot of synergy going on. And I know synergy is sometimes kind of a corny word, but it is legit in this case. Uh, sticking with you, Slava, before we get to the trees, let's talk forest. What is the alternative asset landscape looking like uh, as we head into 2023? You know, at the highest level, um, 2022 was a big shift. Uh, we had many years of a risk on environment, low interest rates, you had COVID accelerants. Um, you really just had tons and tons of extra flush cash, people trying to figure out where to put it. That raised the risk tolerance for a lot of folks, and that created a lot of, uh, I would call, bubbles in different asset classes. Mm -hmm. sure. We saw some of those bubbles pop, uh, and it's continuing to evolve. Um, you know, so in, in 2022, there was significant tightening of all of that. So I think we're seeing, quote unquote, a new market. I don't know if we're going to go back to that old market. It's really just a new market. As part of that, interest rates are going up, uh, which is impacting what was interesting versus not. For example, you know, people kind of ignored private credit for a long time because there wasn't a lot of opportunity in that space. But now private credit is pretty hot with interest rates going up. Uh, crypto was the hottest thing ever uh, before this evolution, but now it's in the doghouse. You know, everybody and their mother talked about their bored apes, and now it's hard to hear anybody say the word NFT. Uh, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out how much your LeBron James rookie card was worth was a hot thing to do, and now LeBron is like tanking like no other. But it depends if it's a liquid asset versus really much more of a super rare iconic asset. I still think the iconic assets are doing well, whether it's an art, comics, you know, whiskey, anything, wine. So I think that's going to persevere. And, uh, you know, you're really seeing a transition the pre-IPO markets have really struggled. Uh, SPACs used to be a hot phrase. Now you kind of get thrown out of the room if you say it. Uh, <laughs> there's been like, I think like one fourth the IPOs this year and everybody's waiting for the window to open up. Uh, some companies, you know, raised at like 40 billion at the beginning of 2022 and going back and raising more money at 11 billion, i.e. checkout.com. Others are completely imploding like FTX because not good enough diligence was done. So you're seeing massive multiple compression in that space. And, you know, you're going back to just like basics. Do you have good revenues? Do you have good EBIT? And what's going to be the right multiple? I think that's kind of the place we're at right now. A lot of people are holding onto their money as opposed to just trying to figure out how to make their money print more money for them in the beginning of this year. So it's a much tighter environment. I think you're seeing that in the public markets. Uh, and that ripple effect is happening. That doesn't mean there's not opportunities of where you can make money. Uh, I just think you have to do more diligence and you have to be a little bit more kind of fundamentals driven as opposed to just like, hey, can I get on Discord to pump this sort of thing? Now, before um, you, and I mean the royal you of our listenership, uh, starts kind of looking at this like, oh my God, the, the all asset market is cratering. 
Slav is a realist. Slav is pragmatist. And whenever we speak to him, um, he talks about how straight up he is and he is straight up. And I would prefer the straight up than the rose colored glasses. Uh, cause that's the reality of it. Uh, Bradley, what is your reality these days from what you're seeing at Alton insights? Are you on a uh, team Slava right now or you have a different angle on things? Just right before you transition him, it is a time where you're still seeing record breaking things happening across, you know, some of these opportunities. Again, if it's a super rare, super iconic hard asset, mm-hmm, you know, everybody mm-hmm. in the mother still wants it and not a lot of people have a lot of money. So, you're still seeing some awesome results, but again, it's not just going to fall in your lap. I think you have to do a lot more work and you have to be a lot more patient. Bradley. Yeah, I would just building on that. It's a definite flight to quality right now. Um, and we are just seeing and carrying that in. I mean, everything was going up for the majority of the post COVID into 2021 in the alt space. And, you know, and now, and we're seeing it and we'll get into some of the assets in particular in the asset classes and categories, but, uh, there's definitely a shift towards like it has to be the best of the best. It has to be, you know, if it's mm-hmm. a jersey, it has to be like a Jordan or LeBron. It has to be yep. from a specific yep. game even. And I think we're going to continue to see there's still a lot. Um, it's not even like taking like, a bearish angle on it, but I think there's still a lot of maturing that the market has to experience. Uh, I think that there's still quite a bit of there's still items out there that are selling that kind of make your head scratch a little bit. Um, the game worn side in sports, I think we've, we're seeing that pullback. Um, art is definitely not as wild west as it had kind of gotten, but the mm-hmm. speculation still a little extreme in some um, in some categories. Even on the physical art side, obviously digital and NFTs um, don't even have to really cover that much anymore. But the physical side, 100%. And some of the names we'll get into, but. You know, it's it's names that everyone's heard of, and now they're heading, they're having records established, and it's yeah. no surprise because everyone wants the best of the best. And over time, that's I think just going to raise the quality of assets on the market and the floor um, as well for people that are trying to get into these markets, which makes you know our job great to kind of help educate and research the investor class. To that end, Dylan, um, it's all about the goats, right? The goats are safe, relatively speaking, investment. Um, do you see that uh, broadening a little bit? Do you see people going back and getting into the more the things that they love rather than the things that they think are going to make them money? Or are we going to flatline? Or are things uh, not looking so hotsy totsy? Well, I think what's interesting is I think we're in the midst of just a, a massive reset and kind of a massive reconfiguration mm-hmm. of perspective. Uh, you know, you mentioned people getting into things they love. I think people maybe thought they were doing that over the past two years and are now realizing like they didn't love them all that much because there was this this incredibly short term orientation that all of the favorable circumstances and, you know, easy money created where, where people were, um, it's human nature became very focused on the next few months rather than the next several years because things were going up so rapidly. Um, And so now I think it does force people to become more deliberate, to become kind of a little bit more long-term focused in in some Mm -hmm. of their decision-making. And, and with that comes, you know, more patience and, and, uh, more, more kind of reluctance to, to jump into things very quickly without really doing more diligence, without understanding how things perform over the long term, without understanding, Mm -hmm. you know, how they've performed in the short term, because you had a lot of people 
top ticking a lot of different markets over the past few months and few years. So, um, you know, I think I think we might be in a, a bit of a holding pattern here um, as people kind of make sense of this this very new reality, which um, feels very foreign after, you know, a, a, a couple of years that were you know anything but normal. A course correction is a course correction. They happen. It's a sign of a healthy market. Uh, Bradley, you are my luxury guy. When I want to know something about high-end art, when I want to know something about high-end wine, I go to you. Uh, what are we looking at in those verticals right now? What's the alternative uh, view of art and booze? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So on the art front, uh, I would be missed if I started this off without giving a little shout out to our art report. So we put out our fall um, asset class art auction report uh, that covers the fall season. You can also look back at the spring season um, as well, where we do our research reports on. But you know, 2022 was it's it was Maclow and Allen. It was two massive collections coming to auction. Uh, Maclo came in the spring, realized it was the second part of that auction, realized just under a billion. And then the Paul Allen collection came out this fall and blew past 1.6 billion, uh, wow. which is just, you know, yeah. And, and those numbers in general have just been incredible. You think back, you know, a collection that sold um, previously was the Rockefeller, which was, was always looked at as, you know, a top three, one of the finest collections. And to see that went for under both of those two just shows how high the ceiling went. Uh, but it, it is amazing to see some of the artists that established auction records this year. Paul Cezanne, uh, Van Gogh, you had that um, Sage Blue Maryland with Andy Warhol, Kusama, Yavi Kusama, who just continues to kind of climb uh, in that front with some of her work. So it, it's just, we had huge names that if you really followed this market for the last decade, you weren't seeing those kind of artists establish records. And uh, mm -hmm. now all of a sudden, they're, they're, these big pieces are coming back out, the estates are putting them forward and we're, we're noticing that there's a lot of contemporary that's still really attractive um and then kind of looking into uh, 2023 um it's a continuation of that and, and the biggest thing that i always look at it's really hard to project those collections coming to auction sure um i wouldn't have thought you know paul allen was going to come forward or something like that but you look at like galleries and what they're scheduled to exhibit and you look at museum acquisitions. Um, I, I really think we're going to see a continued trend towards two categories and that's female artists and also kind of African-American artists and artists that, you know, maybe stray away from your the standard American or European um, majority that just dominates that market. So, you know, a couple of names, um, Cecily Brown is going to be coming out. She's going to be exhibiting at MoMA. She's a very established artist, but the prices and the ceiling just has never really climbed as high as it can get. She's also getting some institutional attention with companies like Masterworks um, acquiring a few of her works. Um, and then along those lines, you know, looking at people who are being acquired by museums, uh, Rashid Johnson is a name that is an artist who had a really quiet record-breaking sale. I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, it's very timely. It kind of captures the moment. It's similar to, um, it's not, his art isn't similar to it at all, but it's similar to how like a Basquiat really kind of was able to capture a period of time right. and demonstrate it in his art. Um, he had a $3 million sale in November, which just really flew under the radar. And he's a guy who has been out there on the market quite a bit. 
Um, and then just other names. One other name probably to watch in 2023 would be Anna Wyant, who just uh, has been picked up by Larry Gagosian, one of the largest um, gallerists and dealers in the space, had a record-breaking 2022 first, first um, seven-figure sale and really her first major auction appearances. So a lot of young names, all those coming you know, under 50 years of age, that are definitely worth watching as we see galleries looking to exhibit them in museums, um, acquiring some of their works to show the public. Yeah, anecdotally speaking, um, I go to the Art Institute of Chicago on a fairly regular basis. And lately, uh, over the last between six and 18 months, there have been a lot of exhibits of young artists, of African-American artists. And I'm assuming to an extent that reflects what people are putting their money into. It does. Yeah. And it, a big reason for that is just because as you continue to grow your market and we see the institutional money coming in, um, one of the reasons why an example with like Cecily Brown is, or Cecily Brown, is that you have this, you have an artist that the demand has to be there for institutions to be willing to buy her. Because if they have to move a piece, they have to know that they're going to have a lineup of buyers. And right. as the public becomes more familiar with an artist, and that's why you see the same names recycled constantly, the Warhols. Um, you know, now it's Kusama is, is becoming really popular as well mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In, in that front. It's because the institutions and the big money in the largest states know that when they have to flip this work, when they have to sell it, um, if a museum has to deassess a work, um, there's going to be a demand sitting there. There's going to be a, a group of buyers lined up to take the piece off their hands at a reasonable market price. Dylan, before we dive into the uh, game-worn and sneaker and card market, uh, hype your book, buddy. (laughs) My book. um, So that's actually kind of how I went down the collectibles rabbit hole. I'm a a sneakerhead, and a few years back, um, I was in a a day job in the traditional investments world and was just noticing all these really interesting parallels between my day job and what was going on in sneaker resale markets. So kind of set out to um, explore those parallels and explore the rise of the sneaker collecting economy and all of the entrepreneurship and all of the interesting businesses that um, kind of sprouted up as, as a result of it. Um, it's, it's about three years old now, so it, it got dated pretty fast, to be honest, um, even with it. But it's still a good read. It's still really, yeah, it's still a really good read um, for the, getting the groundwork, how we got to this point. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm really trying to kind of frame the, the foundation of these markets and, and how, how they behave and, and what drives them and, and what kind of mechanics are in place to support them. Uh, that being said, it has been, you know, kind of the the reckoning for for the sneaker market this year after Mm -hmm. you know um five six years of incredible boom times of resale markets growing their volumes very significantly of you know resellers um starting and thriving with kind of sneaker flipping businesses this was the year where um things kind of came home to roost and and there are a few reasons for that you know the first of which being one common to most um categories like it is you know speculation just kind of fell out of vogue with with money it not being such an easy monetary environment with economic circumstance becoming more tenuous um but there are also idiosyncratic factors to the sneaker market um for, for instance supply chains over the past few years were obviously extraordinarily wonky and that meant very irregular 
limited supply of sneakers, even more so than is than is typically the case um, coming to market. And that's kind of a reseller's paradise because you know demand as always greatly exceeds supply and so premiums for for sneakers on the secondary market were were particularly robust um those issues started to sort themselves out this year um and a lot of the supply that was in transit started to come into market in kind of irregular ways and spotty ways and you know you started to see um, kind of more of a supply glut than has been the case. Glut is a little mm-hmm. bit extreme, um, but mm-hmm. that obviously weighed on values in addition to the other factors. And then um, it, it has it has to be mentioned, um, Yeezy has obviously been a very large part of resale markets over the past several years. Mm. Um, and that is uh, an extremely complicated part of the market now, um, in, in no small part due to the fact that Adidas terminated the partnership, which leads to a complicated effect on resale markets because obviously there are those who have no interest in wearing sneakers anymore, very understandably so. And there are those that believe that the fact that there will be no new supply coming to market can have a favorable impact on prices. So it's kind of a a very awkward push and pull there, but um, it's a it's been an extraordinarily large part of the sneaker resale markets. And um, it will be interesting to see how that market evolves when Adidas starts releasing product, um, not under the Yeezy name. They do own all the rights to, to the products themselves. So um, we haven't seen the last of them. Talk to me about game warns. I know you, uh, you keep your eyeballs on that. Um, is it a goat market? Are we just wanting the MJs of the world? Or are there people that are still hyped about their Andre Dawson shirt that they stumbled onto. <laughs> I think it's it's definitely been a um, a goat focus. I think what's interesting though is, um, you know, we've seen the disparity between the best of the best assets, even for goats, um, for for a single player. There's a very very wide spectrum of um, quality in, in assets where you're talking about the very best moments where there's ironclad authenticity down to, you know, assets that aren't tied to any specific moment. And you can't really necessarily pin down the authenticity or or when was it worn? Was it worn for sure? sure. Was it worn in a game? Um, but I think what we've seen is we've seen these incredible headline garnering record results, um, when that happens, it tends to draw supply out of the woodwork and, and more places start selling these assets, more places, more being authenticated. There's just more supply coming to market. Um, and I think kind of in a way that's analogous to what we saw in cards, that generally doesn't bode particularly well for kind of the, the rest of the pack, the stuff that's not at that highest echelon right. uh, because there is just such a such a kind of high velocity amount of supply coming coming to the market and people are still trying to understand like where does this fit in on the spectrum right. of quality and that'll be something to grapple with in in 2023 i think we we saw what happened with with cards that weren't at the highest highest level this year um and, and it wasn't pretty uh i would be remiss to uh not mention uh the dynasty collection which is something that um regular show listeners are well aware of it is uh one of each of the six shoes uh that michael jordan um won a championship in um and and they are kind of the under the csg umbrella right now uh when we brought them to uh the national the national sports collectors convention over the summer the excitement 
around that was was uh, one of the most exciting things at the convention. People were just standing there taking selfies with it. So yeah, Dylan, the goat situation is 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 still strong, and I like your uh, theory that goats drive the rest of the market. Um, Slava, let's talk cards. You, you, we're going to throw the whole, you know, leftovers at you, but let's talk cards first. Um, is, are, are we in a goat centric market with cards? Uh, is there less speculation going on with uh, potential young athletes? Is he going to be the next Patrick Mahomes? Is he going to be the next, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo? Uh, or are people these days playing it safe because of the economy, because of the landscape? Yeah, I mean, um high level before we get into that so like our portfolio um right now we're beating the market uh for our customers by about 30 to 40 percent obviously i mean it's not it's not a big woo like rick flair style oh no it's a pretty big woo it's because it, it's not all super positive obviously beating a terribly negative number is is not hopefully that hard but beating it right. still is a good thing part of that has to do with how we've been investing even before this collection happened which is you know we thought things were very frothy um and we have been investing into what we think are more iconic rare uh things so we didn't in the card space for example and just to piggyback on what bradley mentioned we we really are big fans of kusama that's been part of our anchor positions in the art space which for now has been one of the leading uh categories of the six because partially it's such a hard asset with rare things but also because you know they don't mark very often so the things that are marked less often have an easier time at the moment um you know, which is our part of the alternative investment uh, thesis. In regards to cards, you know, we do believe in the rarer, the better, the more iconic, the better. And the mm -hmm. more you can invest up into the best, most expensive things, we suggest it, which is obviously where some of these fractional sites or sites like ourselves, where we manage the money for you. So you don't have to, you know, find the million dollars yourself. We can invest a million dollars from, you know, a bunch of folks putting in smaller investments um we just think that the speculation at the more liquid asset level is getting annihilated completely annihilated mm -hmm. um to the point where you know if you have a 70 percent loss on some of those assets you're doing well and that's yeah. a seven right i mean you're seeing 90 to 99 percent destruction in, in wow. some of these assets but at the same time if you look at you know some of these Babe Ruths that are going more recently or even Mantle obviously and I'm talking about grails and kind of quote-unquote basics but if you get these really rare cards that people are considered the goats um there's some of them are still going up like literally going mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. and uh I think that's just um you know a prediction right now which you're going to ask later is what's going to happen in 23 I see more of that uh I see an erosion of the middle right which is people are going to have to choose very black or white. Do you want to speculate or do you want to invest? And if you want to invest, it'll be more of a slow grind, but there's a good chance it's going to go up. And if you want to speculate, feel free. But when you lose all your money, just don't say you didn't know what you were doing. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people had their hat handed to them going into these, let's call it rookie card speculation or third years, or, hey, I could turn my $3,000 into $30,000 and then 3,000 turned into, 200 into uh 250 and then they were really upset um but yeah i think cards um it doesn't matter the which uh look look at the formula one right formula one was like the thing to get into i mean talk yeah. about a bubble right um but 
the Babe Ruth rookie, it's just kind of like Gowdy's. Do they get old? They don't really get old. No, they're they just don't. like nice and boring, and they kind of keep on steady or up, depending on which uh, card and how beautiful it is. In this economy, safety is paramount. And you also have to appreciate that that's just a much more established asset that has had more liquidity over the last 80 years, sure. as opposed to a Hamilton rookie that like who hyped, who was the person or the company pushing it. And before you know it, like, did they take their cards off the table and then left you with the bag? Right. So um, you got to be careful for all of that. And I think a lot of that's going to happen in 23 as well. Are there any verticals that have yet to be mentioned uh, in our little roundtable here that are of interest either in a positive way or a negative way? Like I said, we break down the world into six major categories. Um, I think pre-IPO we talked about quite a bit. Uh, I think it's going to be a rough first half of the year. I think things will start to thaw out in the second half of the year. You know, while we're talking about doomsday, you still have SpaceX now selling at $140 billion after you could have gotten SpaceX about a year ago for $77 billion. So like not everybody's crying, you know, like that's literally almost like a 2X in a year. Yeah. Um, so again, these are just, you have to find the best assets. Uh, crypto, I think is, you know, really having a tough time. The whole FTX situation and all the trust destruction that happened you know, if you asked me about half a year ago, I would tell you that about Q2 23, I think crypto is coming back. You ask me now, I think we're looking at more like a Q2, Q3, maybe 24, maybe wow. 24. Not, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, so excited about how fast it's going to come back in 23. That doesn't mean I see a lot of down, but we'll see about that. Collectibles, we talked a ton about. I think it's about flight to quality. Our NFTs, we talked quite a bit about. I think it's it's very similar to collectibles. You know, it's kind of flight to quality and, and stick. In my opinion, I would not be speculating on the younger folks. I mean, yes, you could be smarter than the average bear, but that's also an easy way to lose a lot of money. I think the categories we haven't talked too much about are private credit, which some people call debt. I think um, we talk this time next year, 365 days from now. I think you'll be surprised at how many people talk about like debt funds, private credit. I made money on this loan or this instrument. It's things that are considered completely boring and completely a waste of time. Um, some of those rates are going to be much higher. And people are going to say, like, well, why would I risk getting 7% in the stock market or on this thing or that thing when I can get like 8 or 10% kind of fixed? And I think that kind of discussion is going to be kind of new in 23. Uh, and then real estate, you know, real estate's had quite a bit of evolution. Uh, I think you're seeing a lot of concerns in the residential markets. I think commercial is going to still continue to find opportunities. I think there's going to be a lot of um, institutional money buying assets at low prices mm -hmm. where there's going to be a real opportunity to make money in the years to come where they say they picked it off in 22, 23, et cetera. Um, but I think it's going to be highly volatile and concerning to the average investor. For more from my discussion with Alton Insights, Bradley Kaleha, and Dylan Dietrich, and Vincent Alternative Assets, Slava Rubin, check out part two of our Alternative Assets Roundtable, available to stream on Apple, Spotify, and the podcast platform of your choice. Whether it's a 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer rookie card, a Tom Brady Playoff Contenders rookie card from 2000, or, I don't know, a Marv Throneberry card that came out of a post cereal box in 1963, and yes, that's a thing, Certified Sports Guarantee will grade your sports cards quickly and accurately. 
a subsidiary of Certified Collectibles Group, CSG graded over 1 million cards in its first year plus on the sports collecting scene, the fastest any grading company has hit that mark. The speedy turnaround times provided by the knowledgeable, passionate team of expert sports card graders will make your CSG experience smooth, efficient, and most importantly, fair. Regardless of the athlete, the sport, or the condition of your card, CSG will treat it with the love and respect it deserves. For more information about CSG, visit CSGcards.com. That's CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. We hope you enjoyed Collect This, powered by CSG. Collect This was hosted, written, produced, engineered, and scored by Alan Goldscher. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at collectthis at csgcards.com. 